delivering clear, concise, and entertaining content on demand, this is SharperTalkMedia.com. Join the community. Welcome to Hire Up, the podcast designed to help you take your business to a higher level. Get the latest news and updates on everything human resources. Unlock the occupational DNA so you can identify, select, develop, and retain top talent. And now your host, John Beck. Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to another episode of Higher Up, the podcast designed to take your organization to a higher level. In the studio today, I'm excited to have our special guest. He provides his clients with the leadership solutions to improve performance. He has written three books and over 300 articles on leadership, management, personal success, and school board service. He is a 36-year member of the National Speakers Association and speaks to corporate, association, and government clients throughout the United States. His refreshing sincerity, great humor, knowledge, and genuine caring of people are his brand. He is known as the leader's leader. People who hear him speak say he has the unique ability to make complex simple and to share thought-provoking and insightful ideas. He uses stories about the antics of the most famous Cajuns in the world, Boudreaux and his friends, to drive home the points of his message. Learning and laughter, a winning combination every audience comes to love. Our guest today, Billy Osamal. Welcome to the show. Thank you, John. Happy to be here. Well, we're excited to have you, Billy. I'm, I'm excited to be here. This is a new project for you, and I'm just happy to be a part of it. We expect you to not only have a good show today, but we're going to want you back in the future as well. Sounds good. Because you've got a lot to offer. Before we get started, I just want to kind of let everyone know a little bit about my relationship with Billy. I was... Uh, he and my family have been friends for what, Billy? I mean, is there, is there a number on that? <laughs> Go back to my wife till, <laughs> yeah, till they I mean, were born. That's right. I mean, childhood friends with my family, and I grew up around Billy and his family, and they've just been very, very close. And not only on a personal level, uh, what a dynamic individual you are, but also uh, on a professional and, and business level. So my hat off to you. And you've been a you've been a guiding mentor and an example for me and some of the things that you've done and what I've tried to mimic in my own life and business. Well, thank you. That means you have to watch what you do because people are watching, right? <laughs> that's right. That's right. Tell us a little bit about Billy Osamar and some of the things that you do. My, uh, my world began as a teacher. Your father was one of my students. I just couldn't make a living in all candor. Uh, so new plants came in the area. Uh, I was a science teacher and coach. Uh, never taught much PE, always in the classroom. Mm-hmm. And I got a job as a chemist, shift chemist, and began to look at opportunities. I'm, I won't say ruthlessly ambitious, but I am an ambitious individual, much like you, by right. the way. I think you need to um, look what else work offers you and I, I started with the ground floor the data plant opened the doors and all I could see was opportunity in front of me and I started looking and fortunately was in a company that recognized and gave me opportunities and uh, it was 32 great years wow. I got promoted into management to a location I did not want to go to and mm-hmm. I argued <laughs> that you you fired people here before 
and people have quit. It's a hellhole. Right. And I don't want to be a part of it. You know, I, I, I remember telling Charlie McCauley, who was our GM, said, Charlie, you cannot fire me in this job. Right. I do it too well. Uh-huh. But I'm not certain about the other one. And I'll tell you an interesting thing I did with him. I bargained with him. Right. I said, you cannot fire me for one year. I don't care how bad I mess up. I don't care what happens. I got one year to prove I can do this job or I can't do it. Secondly, he said, what else do you want? And I said, well, if I need training, you have to send me. Uh-huh, uh-huh. No questions asked. I will tell you what I need. You have to agree to it without any reservations. So he said, well, what else? And I said, well, I don't know right now, but I'll probably offer you some other options. I said, how long do I have to think about this thing? This is a huge career change. Right. This is about 8.30 in the morning. He says, I have a 1 o'clock appointment with the plant manager. We want you to start in the morning. <laughs> so my whole career path changed in less than 24 hours. Sure. I had one depressing day in my entire work career, and it goes back many, many years. It was the first day I worked at Melamine Chemicals. Mm-hmm. I came home, and I was, I was so depressed that I had made a terrible career choice. And then I said to myself, wait a minute. You made the choice. Right. Now, make use of it and do the best you can. And I, I literally talked myself into a different attitude that mm-hmm. evening. Started to work the next day with a whole different outlook, and I stayed 27 years. Wow. Not a bad choice. No. Not a no. bad choice. Now, fast forward to where you are today, and as many people call you the leader's leader, if you're looking at your website, which I'm going to go ahead and say searchingforsuccess.com, and you guys can Google Billy. Uh, you can also go directly to site searchingforsuccess.com. You have a host of things that you do. And also, you've, uh, you've written a few things, and tell us a little bit about, first off, some of the major topics that you do work on, uh, where you, you know, go in and, and, and do some talking. I know you do keynotes and training and a host of things. Maybe name a couple topics, and then let's talk a little bit about the books. Yeah, I, I have decided, after many years of searching for my own success, right. uh, I said, where's my passion? Mm-hmm. What am I really, really passionate about? And what have I done a lot of in my lifetime? And leadership just popped up naturally. I started leading as class president in the eighth grade. Right. And I've never stopped. Uh, I've had great opportunities to do some leadership things in, in public service, uh, in the private sector. Uh, I was 27 years in management. I've done management consulting. Mm-hmm. It's what I love to do and I think what I know. So my focus is leadership. Right. But I break it down into two components. I will speak to topics that are leadership of self, mm-hmm. called self-leadership. So I can help people develop personally uh, or employees develop. I've right. done employee development classes. And then the third phase would be the manager or the leader themselves. Right. I can do executive coaching. I've done that. Or just a leadership class for you know, mm-hmm. supervisors at any level, really. Right. So that's kind of where my niche is, and I love it, and, and uh, I don't work. That's right. If you enjoy what you do, and it's not work, right? No, I don't work. <laughs> and we're going to talk about that in a second. Tell us a little bit about the books. I know, you've, you, I know the one I've read, Searching for Success, which I highly recommend, and we're going to get into that in a minute. But talk to us a little bit about some of the other works. I, uh, I first wrote that in the 90s, right. and that's the name of my website because I couldn't get the website that I wanted. Mm-hmm. So I, I took the book title and created the original website. Then um, a total detour took place, which has been an interesting transition that I would be spiritual for just a moment. Yeah, sure. 
without being religious, I will tell you that I was tapped on the shoulder mm-hmm. one evening about not about twelve thirty in the darkness of my den, sitting down contemplating a book I had just read, and I literally saw a neon sign look right. called the journey. Mm-hmm. And I'm like freaking out. What right. is this? Uh-huh. And I got up, went to my office, wrote it down on a piece of paper, and within three minutes had a basic outline of a book. Wow. And I also said, call my friend Jody to help me write it. Mm-hmm. Now, that was a total thing that I would never, ever think about. Right. I haven't had a co-author in any other thing that I've written. Right. So that was part yep. of the inspiration. I can't explain. Sure. So we got together the next morning for like three hours and mm-hmm. brainstormed the outline of the book. And we were naively thinking we could do it in about six to eight weeks. It took us 18 months. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> but the book is about life's priorities. Right. Because I think what we have to do to be totally happy, we have to have a spiritual side. So the first priority is develop your spiritual part of your of your being. The second part is the family. And we broke that down into both marital relationships and raising kids. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the third phase is work. Right. And for me, if I've got to make a real gut-wrenching decision, I'm going to weigh, does it impact my family? Mm-hmm. Or is it against the moral code that I believe in religiously? Right. And if it doesn't violate my, my code of ethics, if it doesn't impact my family, it's a good career choice. There you go. Right. So that's kind of the balance. That's now, a good way, yeah. And you you know, you know can be skewed. Because, you know, let me interrupt you for a moment. People talk about life-work balance, but that's a very good formula to, to kind of put it into perspective to weigh out decisions. Because everybody, you know, you hear everyone talking about work-life balance, work-life balance, but there's never a formula to say, okay, what are some priority and steps in doing that? Yeah, it's just, it's, it's having a firm spiritual base. Mm-hmm. Pick your religion, I don't care. Yeah. As long as your morality is yeah, legal sure. and ethical and all <laughs> right. that kind of stuff. And then mm-hmm. look at your family. Mm-hmm. And make sure you you got a good solid marriage going and, and we're working on 55 years. Make sure that you are teaching your children the right priorities of life, right. okay? Right. And you're very consistent in your in your management style. See, a lot of parents don't think they're leaders, but they are. Yeah, they're leading every day. You're doing right. So, the, and the third thing is you build a career for yourself. You know, I left teaching, which literally is my calling. I decided at age 13 that that's what I want to mm-hmm. do in my life. I never wavered. I still don't waver. Right. I just couldn't make money doing it. Yeah. Well, you're still teaching. So I'm still teaching. <laughs> now I call it teaching without grading papers, which <laughs> yeah. I love. Yeah, you don't have the <laughs> yeah, but, have to work. But anyhow, so I, I do that, and mm-hmm. um, I, I try to keep the priorities. Right. That's, that's a good process. Now let's switch over to searching for success. Okay. Before we jump in, in which we're about to take a good dive into, where, where did the inspiration come from? And talk to us a little bit about how you, how you got to that part of your life and that journey to get to this book. <laughs> The interesting thing about me now being a rather extensive writing type person, I, uh, in 11th grade, was totally embarrassed by my English teacher. I turned in the paper, and she, in front of all my peers. Right. And you mentioned that in the book, by the way. Said, <laughs> this is the worst book, that I, I mean, worst, worst article paper. paper yeah. I've ever read in my teaching career. Yeah, I saw that. So um, <laughs> that wasn't fun to hear and it, it literally kind of probably stifled my my ability but i didn't like to write right and eventually even through college graduate school i wrote what i had to i just didn't like to write mm-hmm. and then one day i just said you know i want to write a book mm-hmm. well you got to know how to write and you got to like to write that's right. a book so i literally labored 
unproductively for 15 years. Wow. And then I went to a session by Jack Canfield and mm. Mark Victor Hansen, who were both fellow NSA members like me. Right. And they did a clinic on the trials and tribulations of publishing the first Chicken Soup for the Soul book. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I'm in that session, and I mean, like the light bulbs lit. Uh-huh. I was... I was like, my God, now I know how to write the book because I looked at their model right. and, and I hadn't thought of it that way. Sure. My concept of a book was 20 pages, 30 pages to a chapter. Right. My brain could not comprehend that. Right. But Chicken Soup for the Soul is two or three pages. Yeah. And separate, independently standing articles that you can read, put it down, come back right. and read it, don't right. lose your place. You can even, yeah, yeah. So, so when I realized that, I mean, I literally walked out of that session. I was so pumped up. And I tell a story in the book about my friend Joe Bonuro, mm-hmm. uh, who was fellow speaker, lived in New Orleans many years, uh, been a friend for forever. And I tell Joe, and I am just so excited. And he reaches in his wallet and he pulls out a $20 bill and he says, I'm buying the first copy. Right. Now that's called commitment. And that was framed on your wall, right? I still have it on my wall framed. <laughs> did you give that? him that first copy? <laughs> yeah, I did. I did. I mailed it to him. And, and let me tell you what I did. Just a quick sure. reverse of that. He kept saying he was going to write a book. Mm-hmm. Now, he's a great sales trainer. Right. Really very successful sales trainer. <clears throat> Did not have a book. So he tells me, well, Billy, I need to write my book now. So guess what I did him? Every conference I go to and I see Joe, I look at him and I say, okay, where are you? Right. It got to where he would almost want to walk the other yeah, way when yeah. he saw me. <laughs> yeah, you were holding him accountable so for his own. So one day I stopped him and I pulled out my wallet and I gave him 20 bucks. I said, I'm buying the first copy. Oh, there you go. He wrote the book. That's awesome. So <laughs> That's I paid him back. But yeah, Joe was the stimulus. I said, I can't back down. But once I got the concept, mm-hmm. I literally wrote the book in six months. Wow. That's fantastic. Well, I might need to hire you to consult with me because I have two titles that I've I piled through chapter one through four, and then I stopped, and then I started over. I mean, I'm going to tell you what. I do really have some great things that I want to put down on paper and, and get out one day, and I'm going to have to sit down with you on another show and talk about that. Sounds good. As I read the book, and actually, we are now on the second revised edition, yes. correct? I okay, just last so. year threw out all the dated stuff, right. things that I thought just didn't fit today's reader, right? Uh, and added some things on leadership. Sure. And add some things on personal ethics. Yes, I went through and I picked up those tidbits that that have been refreshed and revised. Yeah. And and I can tell you, folks, it's a great read. Uh, it's 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 just like Billy outlined it. it. It's not something that you have to plow through. You really flow through it, and it's information that you can take and put into practical everyday use. Is what I like. So what we've done today, we're going to kind of break it down, break the book down a little bit, and just highlight some things. And we you know we want to leave the reader something to to want to go after so what we'll do is we'll just kind of discuss a couple of different chapter topics and see how that comes together for us so in uh in leading off you talk about discovering <clears throat> discover your purpose and one of the things you talk about is living with yourself yeah. and you start right off the gate with with it's one of the major topics in that first part of the book and so what do you mean when you're talking about living with yourself well we often never figure out what we do well mm-hmm. and each one of us in our own respective ways, have sufficient talents and gifts to be successful, mm-hmm. whatever that is for us. Most people don't dig. And, and the ironic thing that I just talked about is I never thought I had the talent to write. But you dug. I've become a good writer, right. at least a decent writer, 
I worked. I worked. Right. I can't tell you how many hours I spent writing bad stuff. <laughs> My first edit on, on this book. 60 pages got thrown away. Yeah. I almost fired my editor. I said, are you crazy? <laughs> and she said, you said this before. You're not saying it again. It's out. That's the end of the discussion. I love it. Yeah. She was like a tyrant, you know. Uh, but, but, but she made my book great. Mm -hmm. And that's I got good. it for the second book. Yeah. She edited my second book, Journey on Holy Ground. Wow, she, and was, this was her first statement. And I, I sent her the text and, and she said, wow. I see you've learned how to write a little bit better. <laughs> she didn't have to toss out as much. So the editing was much less so, than that one. So when we talk about living with yourself, uh, what about not only understanding what things you're really good at, but also things that you might struggle with and understanding that as well is yeah, important? Yeah, I, I think it's a combination of we dig deep mm -hmm. and we see what we like. Right. See, that's the main thing. I, 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 I'm a little bit of the exception to that statement in that I didn't know that I enjoyed writing. Right. Until I did it. Correct. So sometimes we can surface a talent that's sort mm -hmm. of dormant and just not anyway, yeah. even in sight and create a whole new buzz in your life. We have to live with ourselves in that we need to do a lot of introspective thinking about what we do well and what we really right. like to do. One of the catchy topics I really liked, and you talk about develop the right attitude and how important is that, but in that particular part of the book, you talk about uh, how did the pot get black? And, you know, being from South Louisiana, and we talk about black pots, whenever that got my attention. And talk to me a little bit about what, what's the metaphor here? What are we talking well, about? Well, the more modern cookware probably isn't like cookware that I grew up with, aluminum stuff that it when you black, cooked it on yeah. the stove, the bottom got black over time. Right. But what happens is what I just said, over time. Mm -hmm. Okay. And what us in our attitude is over time if we're not careful it diminishes from a good attitude to a bad attitude yeah something and, shiny and bright if yeah, you're not careful and you don't keep it up and you don't maintain it it can start to tarnish yeah get, i actually just did a session at churn where remember we just right yeah uh briefly saw each other my session was on attitudes really uh and in fact i was invited to go to china in the 80s and speak and that's why i went Mm -hmm. And what, what blew my mind, we had to send a paper to the Chinese people on what we were going to talk about. And there were 40 people. Mm -hmm. I sent mine on attitude, and I went back and forth, back and forth. What do I do? Here I am talking to communists. Right. And I'm talking about attitude. Yeah. And, and I finally said, the heck with it. Yeah. It is what it is. That's right. And I'm going to say it. They can either like it or not like mm -hmm. it. And that's the attitude that I went in with. Right, right. We get to Beijing, and... Three people, the leader, automatic, a statistician from Catholic University, mm -hmm. and a Cajun from South Louisiana. Wow. <laughs> that's a mix. Yeah. And then in Hong Kong, which is the second biggest place, mm -hmm. there were three of us. There was a computer guy with Burroughs Computer, which is no longer in existence, yeah. the head guy, right, and me. Mm -hmm. And when I finished my talk on attitude, I remember, like, I could still see Dr. Henry Lee, mm -hmm. just a few rows down in orange. He stood up. And he read a poem in my honor. Wow. And then he sent me some poems, which mm. I still have. So it was just a great experience. But it speaks to the fact that attitude is really, really something that we, yeah. we are interested in. And, and it's, a, it's a success gauge. Yeah. It's very easy to let that tarnish or let, let that pot get black. Yep. If you're not constantly managing it and in, in aware of that. But you talk about developing a career, not a job. Sure. Uh, a job is a paycheck. Mm-hmm. 
plain and simple. Right. Do you work for a paycheck? Ask yourself that question. Mm -hmm. If all you do is go to work for a paycheck, I would bet that you're not happy in the work you're doing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. However, if you go in with the mindset that I'm going to make a career out of this, maybe not at this place, maybe somewhere else, but I'm going to make a career. I'm going to look ahead and not just today. Right. And I can tell you when I moved, well, when I started teaching, I was going to be superintendent. But that mm -hmm. didn't work out because right. I didn't even make principal. <laughs> okay. So when I got into the plants, I swear to God, five years, that uh -huh. was my goal. Right. I'm going to be in management. Right. And four and a half went by, and I was looking for work as a leader. Sure. I really was. But I couldn't find work that paid what I was getting yeah. at that point. Yeah. And I got promoted in four and a half years. Mm -hmm. And when I went into management, I said, what's my next step? I was always looking ahead. Right. And that's what a career is. A career mm -hmm. is looking ahead and see what are the possibilities I can do. Well, it's like they always say, find your passion. And if you can, if you can do something that you're passionate about, it's no longer a job. No, and you, know? and you can actually mold the job. Mm -hmm. People I, don't see that. I like you, that. You yeah. can mold the job into your passion. Mm -hmm. Let me give you a quick example. I like to travel, okay? And, and at one point in my career, I felt stifled. We went public and we changed some personnel. Right, right. My dream of where I wanted to go and what I wanted to have responsibilities over sort of went away. Sure. And I got a little frustrated. Which happens a lot in today's yeah. eco uh, you know, economy. Yeah, and, and I, had, I had a great boss. Mm -hmm. Unbelievably good boss. 17 years I worked for him on right. and off. And I went to him and I said, Roger, I'm unhappy. But I'm not quitting. Let me make that clear. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> okay. yeah. I'm unhappy, <laughs> but, not, but not quitting. So he says, well, What's the problem? I said, I don't know. I just feel stifled. I don't see my future in mm -hmm. front of me. And, and that frustrates me. So he said something to me that I wasn't expecting. Well, what do you want? Mm -hmm. And I couldn't answer that question. Right. So I went back. He says, think about it and come back to me. So I went back and started thinking. And here's a formula that people can use when you build a career. Look around the organization and ask yourself, mm -hmm. what isn't being done that needs to be done that I can do? Yeah, right. And that's the question I asked myself. And what we didn't have was a real knowledge of what happened to our product once it went into the houses, mm -hmm. into the buildings and applications within the industry we serviced. So I proposed that I would travel around the country. I like to travel. Right, that. right. I like to learn. Mm -hmm. And I like to relate to people. <clears throat> so these are all things that are my passion. So I set up my own appointments mm -hmm. in, in one year on and off, and I go to the northeast and northwest and mid-country, right. south California, Florida area, and I pick four or five clients, which made up a total of about 80% of our revenue. Right. So I set up my appointments with the scientists, with the engineers, with the production guys, not the purchasing agent. Mm -hmm. And they, I had a plant tour. I said, explain to me what you do. What are some problems? Do you have problems? I discovered things that people never complained about that right. we could rectify. I learned an incredible amount of information yeah. in one year. And for the next several years, I became really the resource. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. People would call in for information about our product and the application. And I just had the information of, at my yeah, fingertips. what it was used for. It was right. great. So creating a, creating, a, creating a career out yeah. of a job. Yeah. It can happen. Yes. Yeah, creating a career, not a job. Moving on, why would I want to pretend I'm the IRS? 
Well, <laughs> I don't think I've ever wanted to do that. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, IRS is a questioning body. That's I mean, right. they will ask you questions about your returns mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And they'll get down in, into the nitty gritty. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, so what I did when the title came to me is mm-hmm. I just proposed a series of questions that pretty thought provoking questions, pretty challenging yes. questions. And, and a the, self it's audit. a self audit is really what it is. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, it's kind of like the IRS audits you, well, audit yourself. And, yeah. and that's the title source. But the intent is for you to take the questions and go through a very in-depth, good, good review of, of the answer. And I'll tell you, if you do, I think it's 25 questions yeah, I have. Yeah. You're going to shock yourself. Well, it, and it is. And I went through that process. And yeah. I tell you what, it was... Um, it was awakening. It's, yeah, it, it be you scary. Know, that's the best way to say it. It was a little scary, and, and it was an awakening, and it was some good questions, and uh, thought-provoking, and yeah. it kind of makes you do a little self-check of yeah. where you are and what's going on. And that on, was so. the intent of the chapter. Yeah. Now, you can add your own, obviously, in addition right. to that, but it would give you a starting if you notice the theme of the of the topics we're talking about, and that is it's continuing down that line of searching for success, a self awareness of a journey really right of trying to discover what is it that makes you great and how can you turn that into a successful path sure. for you this particular chapter i thought was really interesting and it was why develop a daily structure why is that important and you, you really lay it out well but t- let's talk to the audience a little bit about our listeners about why laying out a the structured process well, first off, it's more efficient. Mm-hmm. And, and most people think planning time is wasting time. And the reality is just the opposite. Mm-hmm. Planning time actually saves you time. And when I do good planning, I am very effective. When right. I don't do it, I am not worth uh, right, what right, I get right, paid. Okay. Right. Uh, when I worked in the private sector, I was very structured, mm-hmm. very structured. And I had a pretty wide range of responsibilities uh epa deq sure uh osha uh quality control with yeah. iso 9000 you better yeah. be organized yeah you better dot the i's and cross the t's with exactly that so i had to be very organized and that that i was mm-hmm. and i was decently efficient if i can yeah. say a little bit about myself since i've been on my own it's been a little tougher and it's really funny mm-hmm. and strange for me why uh, I guess I don't have the pressure on the outside of my company requirements right. versus my personal requirements. But in your daily, in your personal life, you still seem to have that, you know, following your 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 search for success. And, and as you mentioned in the book, you really seem to, from my outside looking in, you still seem to have that structured approach to your daily living. Yeah, I, I do try to have uh, a plan mm-hmm. that I, I'm working on. Um, it's the discipline that at this point is tougher the older you get, I think the less you really want to push yourself. Yeah. <laughs> well, so, so I have to do that. I think I, it's the discipline of, of doing the plan. It's right. the discipline of thinking about what you do. I'm constantly searching for a little bit simpler way mm-hmm. to do things, a faster way, more sure. efficient way, and a more productive way yeah. to make more money. Work you know? less. I mean, let's work, be honest. Yeah. Work less, get more. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, uh, you talk about building bridges, people bridges, in fact, building people bridges. You also have a, in that subgroup, you talk about getting people to like you. What, what's the approach there? What are, what are we really talking about? Well, I, I think it starts with being interested mm-hmm. in the other person. 
when we start and we meet someone and they can sense that we have a genuine interest in them as a person. Right. That kind of breaks a little bit of the tension of mm -hmm. the distance between you. And then as you do that, one of the techniques that I need to work on, and quite candidly, is listen. <laughs> I'm a talker. You know, there's no getting around that fact. And yeah. as hard as I talk to myself about not talking, it's it's hard. Right. But if you ever want to have a great conversation, just ask a question and shut up. Yeah, right. And then people will see you're interested in them mm -hmm. once you do that. The other thing is let them talk about themselves rather than you talking about yourself. Mm -hmm. And then smile. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It is, it is physiologically impossible to feel bad and have a smile on your face. Right. That just doesn't compute. And, so, and for the other person, when they're seeing it. Yeah, for yeah. For them to have a negative feeling when you see someone smiling, it's very hard to feel negative or not feel good about that person. Look, I, I was at the Department of Revenue yesterday, <laughs> speaking of taxes, and, and I met with two people who I walked away from. Right. Okay, and I went up the scale. Mm -hmm. I'm not talking to first-level people who don't respect me. All the things we're talking about, right, we're missing. Right, right. Okay, the lady I met with yesterday came in smiling, came in listening to my mm -hmm. complaints, listening to my logic. Right. And we walked away at this point anyhow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, with an amicable solution to the issue. And it right. wasn't a lot of money. I yeah. mean, I'm talking a hundred bucks or something like right. that. Right, right. But I'm a I'm a kind of a stickler when it comes to that. Yeah. Okay. When I think I'm well, right, I will fight. Yeah, it's a principle thing. Yeah, yeah. So so yeah, that's especially a, when it comes to that. <laughs> yeah. And the other thing that a lot of people probably don't see much of in this world. And it's been probably the most effective relationship building skill that I accidentally mm -hmm. stumbled on in high school. Manners. Right. Say thank you. Hold the door open for, for a lady or a man, by yeah, the way. Right. Just be polite, mm -hmm. you know, and respectful. And, and you'd be amazed how that is not the norm. Yeah. No, it's true. It's true. One of the things I think that I can say my parents really – instilled in me was was that manners mm -hmm. you don't see that as much in the i'm not going to say in my generation but uh, uh, you know you bump down a little bit and you'll find that I, I you don't see the formality i guess you would say and it's okay with formality you know i gave my uh daughter's uh emily post's book on etiquette and manners mm -hmm. for young ladies and i can tell you that book was probably three inches thick huge huge manual and it talked about everything and and to me you have to have a basis for that. I mean, it's it's just such an important part in life when you're treating someone with respect and understanding. And obviously, what a great way to win friends over and yeah. influence people. It, it works tremendously well. And, and something that you said resonates with me from a podcast previous. I just completed a podcast a couple of weeks ago with Derek McCain. He's from the UK, a good friend of mine. And he wrote a book, Leadership Charisma. But you and him have both said the exact thing. So I want to mention it because I thought it was so important. And you, you're, both of your messages were spot on. So I always try to find something that our listeners can take back that nugget. And the nugget that I'm hearing time and time again from great leadership coaches like yourself and, and Derek and the Craig Yinglings and Melissa Stallings and all the other folks that have been on the show, it's coming back to if you have a genuine care and concern for others, a sincere care and concern for others, 
they will perceive you as a great leader and someone that they want to engage and follow. And that's the same message you're talking about. And that is listening, caring, and showing. Not only will they want to be your friend, but they will also see you as a leader and want to engage you as a leader. It's leadership is not something most people want to do. So it's easy actually to become a leader. Mm -hmm. Strangely as strange as that might sound, it's very easy. And once you demonstrate the skill set, people sort of back away and give you an opportunity yeah. to, prove to lead. It. Yeah, prove yourself. Yeah, good, good stuff. And then lastly, we're kind of wrapping this up, and we're coming to success challenges. And this is interesting. Tell us about you know, a big part of the, the, the closing of the book is the forgotten law. Tell us a little bit about the forgotten law. Most people do things in their life. We, well, we all do things in our life. But the, the missing part of the law that we forget is that if we do things, there is a reaction to that. Right. Okay. In, in science, I used to teach about for, for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. Mm-hmm. Well, in life, it's called cause and effect. Right. In the Bible, it's called sowing and reaping. Mm-hmm. And, and the essence of it is very simple. You do something, you get something. Right. Now, the consequences can be positive or the consequences can be very negative, depending upon what you do. And most people just think of half that formula. They just do things. Right. Without any thought of the repercussions, that's where we fail. Mm-hmm. The repercussions is what cause us to fail if they're negative and not in our best interest. So we have to, when we do actions, think about what's going to happen when we do that. When I get in front of an audience, I spend hours right. preparing. Mm-hmm. I really do. I just did a, a one-day program, which I don't do too often. I have 30 hours of prep work. Wow, yeah. Just to do six hours. Actually, two different sessions. Two, two trainings. Mm-hmm. Okay, I repeated one, but it was six hours total. I spent 30 hours getting ready for those six hours, or four hours, really, of training. And my formula is pretty much 10 hours for every hour that I speak. Sure. And it's, it's not enough sometimes. Right, right. But it shows people that I care, and the result of that preparation work mm-hmm. is that I get a good response from my audience. Yeah. And I expect that, by the way. Right, yeah. I exactly. walk in with that expectation. <laughs> you know, I, I literally do visual mm-hmm. rehearsals. I go in and I try to see the room. If I haven't ever been there, it's the very first thing I do is I walk into my room where I'm doing the training. Mm-hmm. Then I can begin visualization of how I will walk around the room, how I will move. I even tell my little Cajun stories and I expect people to laugh. Right, right. I expect them and they do. <laughs> yes, they do. It's been amazing. It's been, it's <laughs> an, I mean, people from all over the world. Yeah, you know, it's like they, they can all relate. Yeah, it's, well, it's, just, it's just a great thing for me. I love doing it. Well, here are our folks. We're getting close to our time. And what I would like to, before closing, a couple things. Uh, number one, I want to thank Billy for coming out to the studio. My pleasure. We love having you. We expect to have you again soon. And what we'll do is we'll take a list of your topics that you really are passionate about, and we'll just address one at a time and, and cover that. So today we really kind of highlighted uh, Billy's uh, book, Searching for Success, uh, Revised Edition 2. Yeah, it's uh, on my website now. Yep, you can see it on his website, searchingforsuccess.com. Billy uh, has all of his uh, all of his services and the things that he, he does, from keynote speaking to breakout sessions, 
topics range everything from you know leadership development all the way through safety i mean the entire gamut i've seen billy work with several of my clients and i highly recommend them and before we leave what i would like to do is billy you have to tell us one boudreau story for us to close out on okay how much time do we have yeah uh, we've got a little time let me cut it slow so, all ahead. right let's see um what can i tell you this, this is one of my favorite boudreau had an old pickup truck now hold on, I'm gonna need to hear it in the in the in, in I'm gonna need to hear it in the Boudreaux voice. Man, I'm getting there. All right, name. okay. <laughs> Here we so go. I'm giving you I'm setting it up for All you. All right. Uh, Boudreaux has an old pickup truck that he's trying to sell. Uh-huh. Okay. So his friend Thibodeau comes around, he says, Boudreaux, he said, You've been having this truck for sale for two weeks. You never sold that truck yet? And Boudreaux said, No, he said, I had plenty of people come look at it, but nobody made me an offer. So Thibodeau says let me look at this truck. So he goes in and he says, oh, me Boudreaux, I know what the problem is. You got 200,000 miles on this truck. Nobody wants to buy a truck that old. He said, let me back up the odometer a little bit for you. <laughs> so he backs it up to 50,000 miles. <laughs> so he comes back about two weeks later and he sees Boudreaux is driving his truck. He says, Boudreaux, you didn't sell that truck? He says, sell that truck? Why would I want to sell a truck with only 50,000 miles on it? <laughs> there you go. A good Boudreaux story. And, and Billy works. The, uh, the, Billy is awesome at doing the driving the point home with uh, Boudreaux stories, Cajun humor, Cajun laughter. And when you combine laughter and learning, like Billy always says, it's a winning combination. So thank you so much for coming out today. And we really enjoyed having you. Well, thank you for inviting me, John. I really appreciate the opportunity. And anytime I can bore your audience, just let me know. Oh, no, no. We'll definitely have some nuggets here. So there you have it, folks. Another episode of Higher Up, the podcast devoted to everything human resources and taking your organization to a higher level. Thanks for listening to Higher Up with John Beck. For show notes, updates, and more on how to break the code to unlocking occupational DNA, join the community at hrhigherup.com. And take your business to a higher level. This has been an exclusive production of SharperTalkMedia.com. Join the community.